Hi, welcome back to PH Expanded. This is Mike McDonald uh, back home in Tennessee after my trip to Orlando, glorious trip to Orlando. Uh, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that, and I enjoyed meeting all the people that I met um, who I approached and approached me, and uh, the uh, people who um, appreciated my work and told me so that just means so much uh, to me and was the coolest thing Uh, and to know and be reminded that you know you can put out some work and people all over all over the country all over the world uh, read it um, and that was so much fun uh, feeling accepted by so many Arsenal fans Um, anyway this is going to be shorter Uh, tonight. My blog is still not finished. I've taken a pause to do this before my eyelids close. It's, uh, what's the time? 1.21 a.m. And uh, feeling tired, but uh, I've got some important things I wanted to share. Uh, First of all, I wasn't going to do a sliding doors moment because this winning this game wasn't the key thing, but uh, I did look back and wonder what would have happened at I think it was 2-0 if Mason Mount's shot hadn't curled as much and would have gone inside the post. That would have energised Chelsea for sure, um, as it always does. But the game didn't go that way and they didn't deserve um, anything from that game, I don't think. You know, you, you very occasionally beat a, a, a big team 4-0 and normally it will happen in pre-season as we saw with United beating Liverpool by I think the same score Um, but that was a 4-0 game Chelsea didn't deserve one goal and we deserved at least all four Uh, a thoroughly dominant performance so forget the sliding doors moment right it was actually probably the training the preparation and everything that's gone beforehand because one team came on the field with a mission and were so organised in how to execute it, and the other team looked like a mess. Um, And then I've been listening also to Thomas Tuchel's post-match, and he maybe foolishly is, is admitting to knowing before the game and knowing now that his team is in a mess, with many players wanting to leave, big players, important players, and the team struggling to find the players they want. Anyway, all of this helps Arsenal. And I think Arsenal are in better shape. And looking at that game, uh, I, f- I felt all the way through we were the better team and will be this season if we can just keep replicating that. The positive that I wanted to mention was in regards to the coach. And I think it's now becoming clear, clearer, uh, certainly to those who were doubting Mikel Arteta, as I think we probably all have at one point at least in his time at Arsenal. Um, I had one uh, one episode where I wasn't sure, didn't really vocalise it, but I wasn't sure. But I'm reminded now, looking at our team ready for this season, that when he came to Arsenal, he might not have had managerial experience but the experience that he did have was unique and it was unique in that he 
had just come from a an environment that bred winners and taught how to win and won. And he was there for a fair chunk of time to understand how that works. And now as we see this season starting and we see where we're at, we see a coach that has clearly pushed the owners to get to the place where you have to be in order to have a, even a chance of winning. You see that in the investment in the club. And I'm sure Mikel Arteta is probably the driving force behind all of that. The common denominator in everybody getting their ducks in the same row. And I think we need to all agree to that as being a fair thought. That we inherited a coach that came from working with one of, if not the most successful coaches in history, and an operation that won. And he came to us when we were low. And of course, he could see the direct contrast. And he saw it far clearer than any Arsenal fan, because he wasn't an Arsenal fan. He was a Manchester City coach, and that was his job. And he stepped into a mess. And not saying that he wanted to replicate exactly what Manchester City were doing, but certainly he knew the mentality that it took and the attitudes and the consistency and the accountability and all these things that perhaps I've talked about in the first part of my my blog, which are the things that are the never headlines, never going to make it on the, uh, the characters on Twitter and they're never going to make it on the back pages of the newspaper and they're not going to be what people talk about on the radio but those people that really love their club and invest time, they dig a little deeper and these things are important to us. So I think this is what we're seeing blossoming and the flower is getting to a point where it's almost wide open um, and at its full and optimum state of beauty. I'm just loving watching this Arsenal team. So much hope too. Um, the need that I wanted to talk about is just, I suppose, a nervousness that I have. And I'm not the only one. I know that. Um, of what could go wrong. And how it could go wrong. And um, I don't know what's in Thomas Partey's future. And if any off-the-field situation will prohibit him from playing, of course there's injury, but I'm seeing him not because he's the best player in the Arsenal team, and he's certainly one of them, as being the key uh, guy that needs to be on the field this season, more so than anybody else, because his replacement is El Nenny, who at the same time, I think, started to play at the top of his game and slightly improve his game, to be fair. I think he's becoming more positive. But there are certain things that he won't be able to do, no matter how much he wants to be able to do them, which are the athletic qualities. The balls that Thomas Partey will win, the counter-attacks that he will stop before they even start. And so there's that gap that's not going to close. Even if Elneny improves his game on the ball and becomes a little more progressive... 
we're not at his age and with a career that he's had going to be able to improve his athleticism to where he can cover the ground and be a single pivot as effectively as Thomas Partey. So, blah, blah, blah. I digress. And so I'm thinking to myself, if I had money to spend on one midfielder, then I look at all the options that we've got at left centre mid, which seems to be the one that everybody thinks we're going to get. And Tielemans is going to come in perhaps and play there or Lucas Paqueta and he'll play there. But we have uh, Xhaka, Zinchenko can play there. We have Fabio Vieri, of Smith-Rowe, Lokonga. It's a long list and Lokonga's looking rather good and Xhaka's stepping up his game and Fabio Vieira hasn't even had a chance yet and Smith-Rowe needs to be a part of this and and I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'm being a spoilt child wanting a left central midfielder. Um, but I do know that we need a midfielder. We need a step up in quality and competition because our midfield wasn't good enough last season. So I'm not denying that. But if you've got players moving position and Smith-Rowe could quite easily be a right or left central midfielder breaking the lines um, on the ball and off the ball from deep in this 4-3-3 that we didn't play quite as much of last season and he didn't play but he could do it. Vieira was bought as more of an attacking player but could likely play the other side to Odegaard. Um, so maybe we've got the player and I suppose my my point is isn't it more intelligent to either get an eight, a, a central midfielder who can play eight, but can also play as the six if Thomas Partey's injured. And ideally, you obviously want somebody better than Elneny, that's the whole point. But you need somebody that can do both, because the, well, the player I'm going to throw out to you is, is Frankie de Jong. And of course, Manchester United have been courting him all summer, and they haven't been able to pull it off, which is rather hilarious. And I'm not so sure that he's going to stay at Barcelona. I watched the game tonight, and... Of course, the kid never loses the ball. He's just uh, so press-resistant and got so many different tools in the box. What a player. Potentially the best central midfielder in the world, in my opinion. And if you were to bring him in, because he's so good and just such a natural uh, footballer, if Thomas Partey was fit and available, you play them both. You don't change formation. Frankie de Jong can play as the left or right eight. So you'd have Thomas Partey as the single pivot and then Odegaard and Frankie de Jong. And it would be hard to find a better midfield in Europe. There might be some that are equal, but I don't think there's going to be that many that are better. That is an outstanding starting central midfield triangle. So think on that one. I wonder if the club might do that, thinking that de Jong, if Partey gets injured, is a natural six and he can be the replacement there. But he can also play because you don't want to stick him on the bench. He's too good to be on the bench for Arsenal. But he can also play in another position, which would give him any of the opportunities that I think Arteta wants to give him too. OK, well, moving on to the chat about uh, Jared Bowen that I was reading today, and I've read it a couple of times this summer. And I've been torn probably because too many players come in from the championship and have a good first season and then fade as people start to figure them out. So you sort of want to buy them if they're good on season three, the start of season three, not the end of season one, because you're not sure if they're going to be able to replicate it. 
So I'm a little concerned about that. He's a good player. His statistics were up there with uh, Saka's, really close to each other statistically. But here's the thought that I think we all need to consider. And certainly we can wonder how Arsenal feel about this. Do we want somebody who's better than Martinelli, Saka and Smith-Rowe, who, let's say, are our three options at wide forward? Because if you get somebody better, then one of those three is likely going to dramatically lose playing time. And I know that all Arsenal fans want to retain all three of those players. So is that what you want to do? Because those three will likely get better and better and better. Is it more intelligent to get somebody who's as good? Is there equal or right at that level? And so the player, like a sacker, feels the pressure of having another England international who's fighting for his England shirt and his Arsenal shirt and is pushing him. And that's good for our team. And we've got the rotational option, uh, support in that position. He can play on the left if needed as a lefty, but I think we're, we're looking to buy an inverted right winger with a left foot. But is it smarter to not go after the superstar in hopes that one, if not all three of our young players will become superstars because they could and that you don't want to block that? That's a little cheeky thought, isn't it? Um, well, I think that uh, that's probably enough for today. I've got to get back to finishing the writing. Uh, So, so excited about the season and uh, looking forward to the game on Saturday. I think it's an early wake-up call for us in the US, but uh, Sevilla are going to be in trouble if we can produce that level of performance again. Uh, And maybe we can uh, donate Pepe to them after the game. Cheers.